All right. Um, I'm glad you're here. I know you enjoyed the meal, and we're going to continue our study today in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. We're in chapter 44. We did a little introductory work last week um, leading up to this, uh, where we get in verse, uh, verse 1, and we're talking about the proof that God is at work. We read repeatedly of God working in the life of Joseph, but that's not the only person God was working on. We're going to see evidence today of God working in the hearts of Joseph's brothers. The dramatic change taking place in their lives. By the way, um, connected to your outline is a little uh, history of the journey of tune-up the last 10 years. We used to do... uh, We started out, and we just struggled for a year or two. We we did mainly topical stuff, and nothing really seemed to catch traction. So then I thought, well, let's try going through books of the Bible, and, well, the result, the rest is history. So uh, so this is where we've been over both Old Testament and New Testament over the last 10 years. You can kind of see where we've been. Every once in a while, someone will say, well, why don't we do this book, and... Sometimes my response is, we've already done that book, and it was before before they started coming. So anyway, this kind of lets you know where we've been, and I thought you might find that to be uh, maybe semi-interesting. So <laughs> there it is. All right, I'm glad to see you. Let's pray, and then we're going to begin with uh, the grand setup in verse 1 of chapter 44. Father, thank you for giving us such an incredibly beautiful day. We thank you for the delicious food and the sweet fellowship that we've enjoyed around the tables. Now we look forward to the study of your word and pray that you would speak very clearly to our hearts. We marvel every time we read your word and thank you for the way that it penetrates into the depths of our hearts. And so I pray that you would speak to us today. Thank you for everyone who's come. Bless each one and their families. And I pray that uh, this food that we've had will strengthen us and that our fellowship and our study will also be a source of strength to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. Chapter 44, verse 1. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks, that is his brothers, fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry. And put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack. That that would be Benjamin. Along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once. And when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants, notice 
their confidence. This is an amazing statement. If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said. Let it be as you say, but he moderates it. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Now notice the boy's reaction. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. All right, we'll stop there for a moment. And and here is the setup. Joseph has his steward fill the brothers' sacks with food, a lot of food, up to the brim, and return their money to them. But he also put the personal silver cup of Joseph in Benjamin's sack at Joseph's direction. Now, what is Joseph doing? He's putting his brothers to the test. You remember they sold him for silver. Will they do it again? Joseph is testing his brothers. Did they really change over all these years or are they the same guys they were when I lived at home? The brothers awaken after a night of deep sleep and they head for home. All seems well, but it is a setup. The steward, accompanied no doubt by soldiers, chases the brothers down. And the accusation is devastating. The brothers are indignant. They are certain, so certain of their innocence that they say if any brother is guilty, he will die and the rest of us will become slaves of Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph, but they'll become his slave. The steward demurs a bit and rejects death, but he embraces slavery for the guilty brother. Now, Joseph wants to know what his brothers will do when faced with the unthinkable enslavement of Benjamin. Now, you know what happened. Most of you, if not all of you, have read the story. One by one, they open their sacks. Last is the youngest, Benjamin. There is the cup, the silver cup of Joseph. Now what? God has been working in the brothers' hearts. This time, their reaction will not be the same as when they sold their brother Joseph into slavery. And we are about to watch it unfold. And your first hint that things are changed is their reaction when the cup is found in Joseph's sack. They tore their clothes. Traditional way of expressing grief and sorrow on the part of Hebrew people. So they tore at their clothes, loaded the donkeys, and head back into the city. So now we have the setting. It's a setup. We know it. The steward knows it. Joseph knows it. 
but the brothers don't know it. Not yet. Now, verse 14, we'll read through 17. The devastating accusation. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in. Have you noticed who has become the leader of the brothers? Judah. He's not the eldest. Reuben is the eldest. Levi is next, and then comes Judah. But Judah has assumed leadership. And nowhere will that be clearer than in the next two chapters. So Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say to my Lord, Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, Far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Now, do you see what Joseph has arranged here? Joseph is going to get to be with his brother Benjamin one way or the other. The brother that he loves, that he remembers from living at home, his younger brother, Either the other brothers will leave, Benjamin will stay, ostensibly as a slave. No doubt Joseph would have then revealed himself to Benjamin. Or, well, let's see what the or turns out to be. The devastating accusation is made by Joseph himself. In verse 14, they threw themselves down in abject groveling Submission. Now, I want you to notice the fulfillment of the dream of Joseph from years earlier with the bowing of his brothers before them. Let me take you back. You can turn in your Bibles or you can just listen. Chapter 42, verse 6, the first time the boys bow to Joseph. 42, 6. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people, So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. So they are bowing in respect. Notice chapter 43, verse 28. They replied, your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. This time they go all the way to the ground. Well, notice what happens in 44.14 that we just read. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in and they threw themselves to the ground before him. There's a progression in their bowing before Joseph and in their abject humility before the one who is their brother, but they don't yet know that he is. Joseph remains stern. Now, he says, don't you know that a person such as I can practice divination? Now, this is perplexing, this Hebrew boy. Notice he didn't say that he did practice divination, but he is explaining to them how someone like himself 
could know what he knows. Because the brothers are probably on their way into town. Or probably, How did he know? How did they know? How did they know to come out? You know, how did this happen? Remember, it's all a setup. Joseph is in control. God is in control. And so they bow before Joseph, throw themselves on the ground. Judah admits to him their guilt from years earlier. We will be your slaves. It was Judah's way of saying, we're getting exactly what we deserve. We will be your slaves. And with remarkable restraint, Joseph says, no, only the one who stole the cup will be my slave, and that will be Benjamin. The rest of you can co- can go home. Now comes the test. Do you see it unfolding? One more time, the test is this. What will you do about the favored child? This time the favored child is Benjamin. Will you go home and leave him? Or what will you do? The conditions are right for a second betrayal on the part of the brothers for silver. The lure is their liberty. You can be set free. You go home. I keep Benjamin, Joseph said. If the brothers have not changed in their hearts, if they are the same men that Joseph knew years ago, they will leave as fast as they can, and they will leave Benjamin behind. But that is not what they do. Their hearts have been changed. So now we're ready to see Judah interceding, beginning with verse 18. Then Judah went up to him and said, now see here we see Judah has become the leader of the brothers, although he is not the youngest uh, by uh, Hebrew order of age, it would have been Reuben that would have been thought to be the leader, but it's not Reuben, it's Judah. Judah went up to him and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, let me speak a word to my Lord. Judah's very respectful, but understand he's brave. The very fact that he dared to approach Joseph was probably a little astonishing to the Egyptians. And and it makes you wonder, did the soldiers step forward thinking, are we going to be needed here to defend Joseph? We don't know. Those are things the text doesn't tell us. But Judah is bold in approaching Joseph, and he's very humbly saying, please let me talk to you. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. He's totally acknowledging Isn't this amazing? You think back of those dreams years ago and the mockery and the hatred that Joseph endured from his brothers and even his father talking about this. This will never happen. Why why do you have this? Why do you tell us all this stuff? So here's Judah. The brothers have bowed. They've just thrown themselves on the ground. 
And Judah says, my Lord, you, Joseph, don't know you're Joseph, but my Lord, ask his servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we answered you. We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead. I mean, you're dead, Joseph. I mean, we thought you were dead. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Do you see what Judah's saying? He's the favorite. Just like you were the favorite, Joseph, Benjamin is now the favorite. But he's not saying it with sarcasm. He has he is acknowledging reality without bitterness. And we'll see that lack of bitterness as the story unfolds. Then verse 21, Then you said to your servants, you, Joseph, said to us, Bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, Jacob, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, of course, there had been couple of years passed in there but we said we cannot go down only if our youngest brother is with us will we go we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us your servant my father said to us you know that my wife bore me two sons one of them went away from me that's joseph and i said he has surely been torn to pieces And I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. Remember, last last week, Judah guaranteed everything will be okay. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before my father all my life. So we'll stop there. Judah is reminding Joseph of why he knows about Jacob and Benjamin, or why he thinks Joseph knows about Jacob and Benjamin. You ask us all these questions, and we honestly answered you, and here is the boy, and we can't can't go back without him. It will kill our father. He's appealing to the compassionate side of Joseph's heart, hoping that there's some compassion in there, and that Joseph will forgive What has happened, Judah is desperate, absolutely desperate. Can you notice a change in his heart? The Judah of 20 years ago would have said, oh, that's too bad for Benjamin. Come on, boys, let's get our stuff and go home. But that's not what Judah says this time. 
Judah pleads with Joseph, please, please don't keep Benjamin. Don't send us home without him. Now there's more to come. So we see the change in Judah. Judah has assumed leadership. He pleads for the life of Benjamin. It will kill my father if we return without Benjamin. And Judah relates all that took place the last time they went home without Simeon. I personally guaranteed Benjamin's safety. Now, as Joseph listens, he is gaining information. He learns what happened at home when by his, uh, when his brothers went home without him. His dad assumed he was torn apart by a wild animal, of course, because they showed him the bloody coat of many colors. So he learns, Joseph learns how hard it was on Jacob, his father. He's now learning. It nearly killed my father when I didn't come home. Judah covers up nothing, including the fact of Joseph and now Benjamin being the favored child. Now we see what God has done. The brothers... Love Benjamin. Isn't that amazing? The brothers now love Benjamin. And Jacob's favoritism is a reason for releasing Benjamin. These words must have pierced the heart of Joseph. I don't know how he maintained his composure as long as he did. The brothers' hearts are transformed. The brothers have repented. They have forgiven Jacob for his favoritism, and they will not forsake Benjamin. An astounding transformation. Now, let's look at the last two verses of this chapter, and we see Judah's Christ-like offer. Now then, Judah's still talking to Joseph, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave, in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. Do you see it? I will substitute my life for Benjamin's. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. That's an astonishing transformation, an absolutely astonishing transformation. So all these years, through guilt and conviction, the hearts of Judah and his brothers have been changed and transformed. And Judah demonstrates what God has done by a Christ-like offer of substituting his life for the life of Benjamin. He offers slavery for himself if Joseph the viceroy will free Benjamin. So Judah's heart's been changed. All this time God's been working. We don't have time to go back, but do you remember some of what Judah did? Do you remember the rape of Tamar? Do you remember 
who is going to descend through Judah? The lion of the tribe of Judah. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Absolutely remarkable. Don't ever read these incredible stories from the Old Testament, this water off a duck's back. Look at how utterly amazing every detail is and how God is at work to accomplish his will in this world and in our lives. Judah's transformation reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That's what God did in Judah's life. Judah's plea reminds us of Jesus. God is at work, and God is at work in you and me. Now, let's get into chapter 45. I mean, ever since we were introduced to Joseph, we've been, we've been working our way toward this, this chapter. The shock of a lifetime. Chapter 45. So here we are, at last. Joseph has orchestrated tests to see if his brothers have changed. They have, and the and he is deeply moved by the plea of Judah. The brothers will not leave Benjamin. They repent of what they did to Joseph. They have forgiven Joseph's favoritism, Jacob's favoritism. They love Benjamin, even though he is now their father's favorite. So verse 1 of chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? It's almost like that question was a reflexive. They'd just been talking about Jacob. They, but Joseph is so caught up in the emotions of the moment. He identifies himself and then wants to know, is my father, is he really living? Is my father living? But his brothers, this is not a surprising sentence, but his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I would think so. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph. Maybe he said it this way. I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. He looks different. He's he's Egyptianized in his outward appearance. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there have been, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here. But God, he made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, 
This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. I am Joseph. Words they never expected to hear. Yosef Ani. That's the way he would have said it. Yosef Ani. I am Joseph. And is my father still alive? The brothers are mute with shock and fear. Joseph brings them in close. I am your brother Joseph. Just as a reminder, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. Just one last reminder of what you did. But there's no anger. There's no reproach. Words of encouragement. And Joseph begins to explain to his brothers, God did this. Joseph has prayed much over two decades. God has given him wisdom, which is very, very evident to us as we read the scripture. Joseph gives four references to God. Verse 5, verse 7, verse 8. Verse 9, God works his will in and through the actions of people, both good and bad. You sold me, God sent me. Not you, but God. Joseph isn't really teaching theology, though there's a lot of theology there. He's really comforting his brothers. That's what he's doing. But he is also teaching something about our great God. Joseph effects reconciliation with his brothers, made possible by two things. One, the brothers' admission of guilt and repentance, and two, Joseph's forgiveness, enabled by his knowledge of God's providential care. If you want to leap ahead a few pages to the 50th chapter, verse 20, just before he died, Joseph said to his brothers again, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Yes, it is. Now, hurry home and get my father and bring him here. Reconciliation, like the reconciliation we have in Jesus Joseph is without question a type of Christ in this uh, Old Testament story of his life. And it is so clear and so vivid here in his reconciliation with his brothers. Now, we'll pick up there next time at verse 14 where the brothers come in close and they visit. It, It just so... Such a simple statement at the end of verse 15. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I wonder how much conversation is tied up in that one sentence. I have a feeling a lot. Pharaoh gets involved. 
positively, as we will see uh, next week. And then the boys go home to tell their dad. Would you like to have been there to see it? By the way, food for thought, nowhere in the text does it say explicitly that the brothers ever explained what they did to Joseph. So did Jacob know? Think about it. Did Jacob know what happened? Did they ever tell him? If you go strictly by explicit scripture, it never says that the boy said we sold him into slavery or that Joseph told him when they, when he got there. I think Jacob knew, and I'll show you why I think he knew next week. Uh, yeah, keep coming back. That'll just kind of hang that, dangle that out there next week. Okay. Father, thank you. We love you. Thank you for what we see, the transformation that you affect in people who follow you. Thank you for the reconciliation that we see exemplified in Joseph and his brothers and the beautiful picture of our reconciliation with you because of Jesus. So bless us now that we'll go out and share that good news with others. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. See you next time.